Welcome. I'm Victoria Schneps, president of Schneps Media and a proud podcaster for the A-listers. And today my A-lister is John Brady, who is in the real estate world as a licensed salesperson since 2006, and he knows a thing or two about real estate. So welcome, John. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know, John, I know that uh, you were born in Montauk and you are working now from, you told me from West Hampton to Montauk, you know, you got a broad base, but you are very much engaged for many years. So tell me, if you would, who inspired you when you were a young child to become who you are today? You know, I think it's, I think it's a process of, you know, of, of uh, transformation as a human being, a, a person, a husband, a professional. So, I mean, you could say my mother owned Brady Realty and Associates. Well, let's tread back. She was a model, a retired model from the 70s, like for Pan Am, Coca-Cola, whole nine yards. My father was a very established, you know, very successful detective in the city in Yonkers. And then once they went different ways, I think when I was around about 13, 14 years old, my mother got into real estate. She had a couple offices called Brady Realty and Associates. And I think what I just, I think I remember seeing her just being driven all the time nonstop. And it was just, you know, because I guess when, you know, when you're a single parent, there's so much more on your plate and like, especially you got four kids at home. So uh, I think that was part of it, of seeing her that driven. And then, you know, I went to school in the Merchant Marines. So I think that had a lot to do with the discipline, uh, the integrity, and just, uh, I think you discover that, you know, the really the sky is the limit when you're in that type of quasi-military environment. So um, so I think, it, I think it's just a rotating thing where you just evolve as a person. There's so many factors along the way and milestones between growing up in Montauk, where you get to see both sides of the circle. You see, okay, the ones that don't have, and then you see the ones who have everything. And I think you get to realize, you know what, I have a choice of what type of lifestyle I want to have as, as I, as when I get older or whatever it is that you say to yourself. So I think there's a lot of factors that do contribute to the, uh, the drive that I've always had to succeed. I grew up in New York City and, uh, you know, being a city girl, uh, what it was like for people, because now I'm living what I call in the country and I'm in West Hampton Beach, Creok, uh, what it's like to uh, grow up in an environment like that, where it's a small town and everybody knows your business. How, how was it for you growing up? You know, in Mexico, they have a saying, it's called Pueblo Chico Infierno Grande. And what that means is small town, big hell. You know, because you're right, everyone knows everybody. There's no, I mean, it's like, even if you had a girlfriend, you already knew her, her curriculum, you know, because you knew everybody, you know. So it's kind of a hard place to be. And I think in a place that's small like that, you have to be so focused on either sports, music, or something productive, because if you don't, you seem tend to go the opposite direction, mm. you know, and uh, so, but it is, uh, I mean, and it's funny, I'll run into people today and they'll say, well, people actually grew up in Montauk. <laughs> you know? and like, yeah, there was 3000 of us, you know, and that was it. And it's just uh, so it has it definitely had its challenges, you know, but I enjoy I think I enjoyed it. I think it was a great way to grow up, you know, because I don't think we, I don't, we don't know any different. You really don't know any different. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because today I go to Manhattan for the same reasons you guys come here. <laughs> you know? So it's uh, it's funny. But yeah, so it was nice. I enjoyed it. Well, you know, I think everybody's childhood is based on the people, not necessarily the environment. 
And yeah. uh, were you a sports person? Because I'm listening very carefully to uh, you had to be involved in something. What was your sweet spot to be involved? I in? was I, like every kid in Montauk. I grew up surfing. I competed for the ESA, the Eastern Surfing Association. Um, at one point, I was uh, they went thought I was going to go pro, uh, but then work happened. You know, I remember saying, you know, my dad, Dad, can you give me some money. He said, Go get a job. Because he was a very stern Irish cop. Like there was no no sense of humor at all. You know. And he looked at me, he goes, go get a job. And I looked him back, I said, but he's like, for serious, he's serious. So at nine years old, I'm out looking for a job. <laughs> but it's, uh, and um, so yeah, my sports were uh, surfing. I was also, he said, at that time I was training for Golden Gloves boxing. I did a lot of independent sports. So I wasn't, you know, I did, I did the team sports growing up in school, but my thing was really, you know, fighting and, uh, well, I was called boxing. And if I say fighting, people think I'm going out to look for problems. <laughs> you know? So surfing and boxing, that was my thing at the time. Well, you know, uh, the surfing is now a big, big sport. I guess it always was. And people like to watch the surfing. Uh, was it the tides that they report on every day? Oh, yeah, yeah. And now they do it all winter long. When I, was, when I grew up out there, it's, uh, we didn't really do it in the winter. I think that became a thing as of, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Now it's all year round. Well, when you wear those uh, black suits, you can afford to be able to, the weather yeah. is not your challenge anymore. Yeah, yeah, you don't feel anything, so it definitely makes it easier. So I know you did this adventure, and your Spanish sounds like just for the little piece of it. How did you learn Spanish so well? Well, well growing up in Montauk, I saw the community changing back around 1992, I think it was, or 94. Um, I was like 14 years old. I saw this kid translate in, in, in class for another student. And at the time, it sounded like, you know, you know, I, I didn't know what it meant, you know, but I, I looked over and said, that is so cool. And at that moment, I decided I'm going to spend all summer working, helping Latinos. I'm going to immerse myself and I'm going to teach myself the language I taught myself within 60 days. Oh, my. You must and have a gift. There are a gift, a, a gift for languages. Everything else is a wash. I, am a, <laughs> I have a photographic memory for real estate and languages. <laughs> well, that takes us right into your career today. That you, uh, you know, kind of following following the path of your mom, who was in real estate. I'm sure she, um, you know, in the back of your mind, you always felt I could do that too, and brought you back from Mexico, where you were working uh, in real estate to. Did you actually base yourself in Montauk? Is your office in Montauk? No, originally that was the idea. You know, it's funny because I, I never wanted to go into real estate because of what I observed my mother go through. Because, you know, back then there was no, there, there's no real corporate setup in real estate. Agents kind of run down the street like their heads on fire, you know, and it's, I, I didn't see a lot of organized professionals, you know, and after especially running a company like I had. I really didn't want to do real estate. And then it was my father when I was in Florida. He said, hey, John, I want you to go check out this seminar about this guy who was a, uh, he's a coach in real estate. That's when I went to it. I said, you know what? This can be a real true business, not like what I've been, I was used to seeing. So that kind of would impulse me to go into the actual, the whole real estate business. Because uh, my mother, yeah, she was a broker. My father, coincidentally, got into real estate too, once they went different directions. And um, so, yeah, I just saw the whole different world that this can be a true big business and it could be organized and it could be professional and it could, you know, it's, uh, and that's what intrigued me. So it's funny, you know, most people, when we have social gatherings, we're talking about COVID, but the second biggest topic is real estate. So <laughs> tell us what you're doing now and what you're seeing in the real estate world at the Hamptons. 
or the East End, really? Yeah, I mean, well, really over here, it's uh, kind of across the board. We're seeing a limited inventory. You know, it's starting to increase. We see more listings coming on now than before. Before, it was like just, you know, there was very, a lot of apes were kind of insecure about what's going to happen next. Because they didn't have a lot of business, not a lot of people to work with. And now we're seeing more listings come on. Interest rates have actually come up. So that decreases buying power for a lot of buyers. Because we have to remember in our marketplace, there is a lot of cash, but a lot of those cash deals were replaced with mortgages. So that doesn't make them really any different than all of us. So that's going to, well, anyways, interest rates goes up, decreases buying power. And that's, that's when you start seeing price reductions coming on. I think you're also seeing a lot of sellers where it was almost like after that 2006 when it was a super hot market and people came on and they just weren't in tune with what that, they, they kind of missed the boat. <laughs> you know? And I think that's what's happening now. I think you're seeing a lot of some listings coming on very overpriced because they just kind of missed it. They missed that moment. You know, right now we're not getting the line out the door like we had, you know, you know, a year ago before we list the house, the day it went on the market, you'd have a line of cars down the road waiting to get in. Now we'll still have uh, bidding wars for two or three offers, but we're not having those 10, 12, 15 offers like we did before. Uh, And I think the buyer is also a bit more, uh, I guess, um, they're kind of on the back burner because they want to see what's going to happen. You know, they don't want to be in a position to where they're overpaying for a property. And then in five years, they figure out now it's worth less than what they paid. So I think a lot of people are kind of in that moment where they just don't know what to do. I mean, you've been around both when you know, growing up and now in the present in your own profession. My sense is that investing in the Hamptons is always a safe bet. I've never seen prices really drop down dramatically. They may be flat, but, you know, what is your sense of, you know, this playing the market that, well, wait a second, I'm going to wait because the prices are going to really go down. I think it all comes down to, you know, because look, if the rates go up and prices come down, you're still going to pay in the same. You know, it's kind of very relative, you know, I mean, the prices, they, they have come down in the past, but I'm, I mean, I did over 300 short sales in the, in the, that after 2006 market, but that's a very small part of the market. That was no, by any means, was that as a majority of the market. So as far as prices coming down, I mean, it, it is something where it might take two or three years because in the last market shift that I saw. It took about three years to go down. It kind of laid flat for a couple of years and it took another three or four years to go back up. So we have a nine or 10 year cycle every time we go into a high versus a low. And what I, what I am finding right now with a lot of these, as you mentioned, the invest, investing in the Hamptons. This year, I think the, the rentals is just a very, it's, it's almost, a, it's, a, it's at a very low point, the rentals. And I really only think because everyone that came here to rent wound up buying. Uh, so we have a very low demand on the rental side. And I think maybe, maybe for some people that did buy, buy with that idea to rent, I think they might be a little bit, you know, panicked or shocked that they weren't able to rent the house because that could turn them around later and say, you know, come October, I'm just going to sit and sell and get what I can get and get out. And that's, that's the part that we just don't know until it really happens. Um, that's at least what I believe. I just, you know, we'll say. So I know you're a student of analytics. <laughs> and, you know, that you do uh, study, you know, like the stock market, you know, you study what's going on. I don't think you're a day trader. You're, you're in there for the long run. Yeah. Any advice you could give um, buyers now or listers or sellers? I mean, right now for a buyer, I mean, it's uh, they're in a position where they can now negotiate, which before they couldn't do that. And that's what I'm seeing now more than ever before, at least over the past couple of years. 
and I don't blame them because, you know, it's kind of in their favor at this point. These sellers, I mean, right now, if they're, if they're flirting with the idea to sell, I mean, right now, you know, you want to sell when, it, when it's at a, at a time and you can still do that. As long as the price is right and it's aggressive and it's competitive with the rest of the market, you can still get, you can get your cash out and, and reinvest or do whatever you're planning on doing. Just, I would just advise them just not, you know, not put these prices where it's so high that people are not going to want to even see them because that's what we're seeing too, where they're just, it's like these daydreaming. It's like we have uh, two parts of our CMAs, our comparative market analysis. One we call fantasy land, the other part's reality. <laughs> Stay away from fantasy land. <laughs> You know, just be realistic and you will get people to want to buy, to, to buy the house. I often say that, um, you know, the, the buyers set the market because it's what they're willing to pay. What, what is actually makes the transaction happen is That's the real right. price. You can fantasize whatever, but where, where are the bits and where are the, uh, the pricing coming in? But I want to ask you something else. I want to ask you, what secrets would you offer success to others? You know, you've navigated these real estate waves for quite a few years. What yeah. advice do you give others to be successful in their? Business? I mean, I think the advice I give anybody, whether it be real estate or any other industry, um, is you know, you you well, one, you have to design a plan. And success isn't the same thing for everybody. You know, I've only found one definition that I like the most: defining it by Earl Nightingale. I don't know if you remember him from back in the day, and he said, you know, he said. Success is a progressive, progressive realization of a worthwhile goal. Mm. You know, so if some young person coming in the business, their their success is defined by a nice car, so be it whether it be you know financial independence, whether it be balance in life. Because again, that's a whole. I mean, we can talk all day on that. You know, because you have to define what part of your life you're going to sacrifice to have that other type of success, whether it be financial goals, mental goals, family, spiritual. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, sides to it, but I would decide, I would decide, I would first figure out what your, your, your def definition of your own success is, you know, set up a plan around the goals that you're trying to achieve. And if it's a new industry, seek out actual real coaches who've been in the business who can coach you and guide you through. Because look, if, 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 you know, uh, Tiger Woods has a mentor and a coach, why don't I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I do have a full-time coach. I've had a full-time coach since I started in the business. And I would recommend them getting in, you know, getting into a, a mentor program coaching so they can have somewhere to start, you know, because I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of the mentality these days is, you know, it's, it's like this, it's going to come to me if I just sit here and wait long enough, you know, like a lot of the newer people get in and they, they expect things to be handed to them. And that's just not the way any business is done. I mean, they almost look at an empty fireplace and say, you give me heat and then I'll give you wood. You know, it doesn't oh, okay. work that way. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful way to end our talk today. Yeah. And I'm so delighted to have been talking with John Grady, who is a licensed salesperson in real estate and has become quite an expert from his young yeah. age with his mom being in the business to him being successful today. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, you too. It's a real pleasure to be on. And thanks for the, the invite and to all your success. Thank you. This is Victoria Schneps saying goodbye until next time. 